Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. It's not winter yet. It's not winter till the 21st, remember? I don't know. All that came to be to decide December 21st, it has a lot to do with science, but when the white stuff starts flying, it's winter to me. How about you? Or there's a lot of other indicators. Um, using your defrost button for the first time is a good indication winter's here. Deer running out in front of you is a good indication that winter's here. Uh, stories flying around like last night of uh, dented quarter panels in guardrails and um, uh, sled riders gone astray into trees. Uh, it's all already started just this weekend, and I think winter's here. But uh, glad you made it out today. Uh, we don't take that for granted. It's cold. It's a little bit slippery in some places, and you all have decided to go ahead and, and risk it to come out here to worship, and we're going we're gonna to make that worth your while. Uh, thank you, men, all of you f- who have led us thus far in some, some great thoughts and some great preparation in song and in prayer and at the Lord's table. We're in the midst of a series called Made for Mission, that we've been created to come alongside of God and Jesus Christ and His Spirit in a mission. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the mission to the wayward, mission to the wayward. I want to encourage you, while I have it on my mind, to uh, bring the kids back tonight. Uh, I have something I want to give them. Uh, We're going to do some of our normal activities, but I want to talk to them about uh, this bracelet. I'm going to give all the kids a bracelet. It's from the church. And there will be lots of things to talk about with that little bracelet right there. So you'll get one. Teenagers, you get one too. And there will be some things you can do with that bracelet that we're going to talk about that has to do, some things have to do with um, helping people who are wayward. There's a sense in which The entire human story is about the wayward. If you think about it, from the time that Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, God went on a mission for the wayward, right? Uh, He introduced animal sacrifice to um, uh, temporarily resolve their sin problem and to teach them that something dies when someone sins. He began that whole thing and and provided ways for them to know how to stay close to him. Uh, He brought his children very close to him in a covenant relationship with Israel, uh, his people, and taught them how to remain in covenant with him, safe and secure in his love and in his arms, to be provided for and cared for, to walk through this life, be prepared to go home to the heavenly place where God abides. And then he's reached out to us in a very unique way. In fact, um, even though the entire Bible is about this story, there's some places like in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 that summarize it in just a brief fashion. Listen to this. This is the story of the human race. This is God's story of of what He has done to go after the wayward uh, people who are in sin. He says, Paul writes, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we have all conducted ourselves once in the lust of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath just as the others were. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the story of the gospel, of God reaching out to mankind and saving us. Yes, even talking to those Christians whom he said you were just like the others. You were in sin and God, because of his, because of his great love, because of his mercy, reached out and brought us in. So in a very real sense, the entire Bible, the story of Jesus Christ, is about God's mission to the wayward. But today, we're going to hone in on a, a specific group of those who are called wayward, or prodigal, or fallen, or astray. And that is going to be those who have once obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, have come to God through Him, but have turned again to their old ways or are at least on the path to living their lives as they once did, as those who were dead but made alive. Going back to the old way, going back to Egypt, for those of you who understand that analogy of the Old Testament. When a sinner trusts in Jesus and His sacrificial work, when he receives that in faith, that Jesus Christ died in his place and confesses before others that Jesus Christ is Lord, he will listen to the command to be baptized into Christ in water, immersed in water, for the remission of his past sins. And he'll be raised from that watery grave to a new life, completely new, the old person being buried to live in a way according to God's will, to be led by God's Spirit through His Word and through His transformative power, to be following God in that way. Uh, a Christian then, who takes on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord, will immediately at that time receive the Holy Spirit, who will go to work sanctifying, transforming the mind and the heart of a Christian from within, as that Christian submits to the will of God. That's how God redeems sinners to Himself. That's what He really wants you to know today. That that is how He has done His work and Jesus Christ is the way. And if at the end of this service you wish to become a Christian, you'll have that opportunity to do that today. And we'd love to welcome you into God's family and assist you with that. But we're going to focus on this special group of people who have once said, Jesus is Lord. He's master of my life. I've had enough of my old ways. And they begin to walk in Him, but are turned for whatever reason 
back to their old life. It may be that they have not repented of sins. It may be that someone discourages them from continuing on. It may be a circumstance in life. It can be a lot of things that bring this person to the point where they think, I'm not sure if I want to continue following God. But first, let's answer this question to be very clear from a theological standpoint, from a doctrinal standpoint. The question, is it possible for someone who is a Christian, a baptized believer who has once truly believed, confessed their sins, repented, and said, I will live this way. Is it possible for that person to be lost again? Folks, conversion is meant to be permanent, but it's, it's not a magic pill. It's not something that, that we, just, we just take once, that day that we are converted and we are therefore always converted or always saved. That part about submitting to God's Spirit which leads to that transformation, the recreation of ourselves into God's image, as Paul called it. That submission is something that we must continue on in. Every Christian can remain saved in the grace of God if he will continue to confess his sins before God. 1 John 1, 9, John assures us of that. He said, if we say we have no sin, we're lying. Christians are lying if they say we have no sin unless they mean it in the sense that I have confessed my sins to the Lord God, asked for His forgiveness and cleansing power through Jesus Christ, and I stand blameless and sinless before God as it is right now through the justification that comes through Jesus Christ. If you mean it in that sense, then we're washed and cleansed, yes. But we all will sin. He provides a way for us to continually be cleansed in Jesus. But there must be a disciplined discipleship under Jesus. He calls us to follow Him, moving under His tutelage toward uh, that which God wants us to become. There has to be a continual connection with God in relationship and also with the church. There has to be a connection with the bride of Christ. There's a triangle that cannot be broken at any leg. If you are on one point and your brother or sister is on another point of the triangle and God is here, God says if you break any one of those three relationships, you break the triangle. I cannot say I hate my brother and love God and expect that that triangle of relationships remains intact and healthy. I cannot quit following God, but say I still want the fellowship and blessing of my brethren and have that triangle actually truly still be healthy and functional. God's told us that that we're in this together, all of us. We have to maintain that continual connection and we have to have persistent perseverance, knowing that life is going to bring hardships and heartaches. There's going to be death here. There's going to be illness here. There's going to be accidents that happen. There is going to be uh, the loss of, of a job. There's going to be broken relationships. There's going to be destruction in this life. There's going to be these things. And he says, yet through all this, as John the Revelator says, be faithful unto death through this life. Just stay with me through all this stuff and you'll receive a crown of life. Just as surely as the prodigal son 
was a son in Luke 15 who became prodigal and cast away his inheritance, spent it all on the wildlife. Just as surely as he was lost, and Jesus said, then was found, he was lost as a child of God and was found again. He was still a son. You know, I believe that a person, once they become a Christian, always is a part of God's family. So when you say, well, are they a Christian anymore? I don't think there's such a thing as you're not a Christian anymore. Once you're a Christian, you're always a Christian. You're, you're born into a family. You can't be unborn out of it. But you can cast away your inheritance. And that's really the reward that we're after. You can forsake God and say, I no longer feel that that is worthy in my life to pursue. Or that I'm worthy of pursuing it. And you can cast it off and not receive your heavenly reward. Therefore, you can break relationship with God and you can give your promise of eternal life away and go back to wayward living. You can do that. The Bible is replete with passages. In fact, the entire Bible is a call to us not only to faith in God, but to remain faithful in God. The story of Israel taking up the majority of the Old Testament is one such story to the wayward. Read the book of Hosea and see what God thinks about the wayward. It's, it's all here that we can, in fact, go back to a spiritual deadness, even though we retain that family member statuship. When someone comes back, they don't have to go through a baptism again. They've already been named a son. So we're talking about today those people that are sons and daughters that have either already or are on a path to casting away their confidence, as Paul called it in chapter 10 of Hebrews, or uh, spending all of their inheritance on riotous or wild living, as Jesus called it. I, there's a lot of examples. I've mentioned a few of where we could look at straying children of God but I want to focus in on, on one in particular and to see how our masterful master, Jesus Christ, reached out to that one person. I want to talk about Jesus with Peter today as just the premier example. And then I want to talk about some things Paul gave to us that are a way that we should go out and help our brothers and sisters who are lost to come back. First of all, when Peter denied Jesus three times, but in that evening that Jesus was arrested and taken into Caiaphas's house and then to the high priest's court, and Peter followed and was allowed in by knowing another disciple who knew one of the servants of the high priest, he got into that courtyard and was warming himself. And when he was called to the carpet for also being one of the disciples, he was trying to kind of keep undercover. You know, if, he, if they had hoodies back then, he would have been wearing one, right? And he was warming himself by the fire, trying to be as discreet as possible. And he got called out three times by three different people. You were one of them. And he denied the Lord. I don't know the man. 
And do you remember on the third time the, the rooster crowed? And the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus turned and looked at him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Jesus being in the vicinity here of this uh, stage area and you being out maybe in the Bay Area or the foyer somewhere just, just out enough that you're not within that uh, jurisdiction of the Sanhedrin Council, but you can see and you can hear a lot of the things that are going on and you're out there and you're thinking that I'll just deny him and maybe he won't know, and he turns in the midst of all this and looks out at you and makes eye contact with you. Well, Peter went out and wept bitterly. But there's a reason why Jesus turned and looked at him. When Jesus heard the, the rooster crow, he was very, very concerned about him. Do you, do you know why he was very concerned about Peter? Other than the fact that he just sinned, he sinned a deadly sin. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 10, earlier in his ministry, with the disciples there, with Peter in the midst, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. But him who denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Peter just denied the Son of God before men three times. According to what Jesus said, if there was not something done here and Peter would have went out in this state of sinfulness, a, a great sin indeed, Jesus would have had to deny that he knew Peter before the Father in heaven on the day of judgment. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Jesus looked out at him and they made that eye contact. He was extremely concerned. They would not see each other again for three days. And perhaps you know why. Because at about nine o'clock in the morning, Jesus was on the cross. I want you to think about this, lest I forget to mention it later. I just want to mention it now. What we're going to talk about, about how Jesus went to Peter to restore him, is after all of this stuff happens, okay? So he walks out, they don't see each other again, unless perhaps it's from a distance on Calvary. But there's not a conversation that's able to be held between them. Jesus is scourged, crucified, buried, goes into the Hadean realm is raised on the third day and makes an appearance to Mary first and the women on a Sunday morning just like this. And then later in the evening to 11 of the 12, Peter being one of them, Thomas being absent, he appears to them, the doors being shut. Remember, it would be as if all these doors are shut in this entire room and all of a sudden we notice Jesus is standing here. And the usher said, I didn't open the door. He shows himself to them, and Peter is there. How do you think Peter feels? I think he's still hurting, don't you? I think he's scared. I think he is really, really down on himself, despondently so. And he sees the risen Lord. After he ran to look for him in the tomb, but he had missed him. He wasn't there. 
Now he appears. But there's actually someone else that takes precedence right now. There's someone else. Thomas is not in the room. So Thomas comes back into the room. Jesus is no longer there. He comes back into the room. The other 11 say he was just here. And do you remember what he said? Wayward Thomas committed a grievous sin that would destroy his soul in hell. Just like Peter. When he said, unless I see it and I can put my fingers in the wounds, I won't believe it. Well, Jesus had also said something about that to the Pharisees. When he said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. One of his apostles just said, I won't believe it. Thomas, you're going to die in your sins unless you come over here and touch me. (laughs) That took precedence. So we got three disciples down. Three. Have you ever thought about that? Judas went out to betray him, but it says that he didn't take his life until he found out that they were going to crucify him. Judas thought that they'll arrest him, they might scourge him, they don't have anything to, arrest, uh, to kill him over, and so somehow maybe I can make amends later. The Bible says that when he found out that they led him away to crucify him, he went out and hung himself. Jesus really didn't have a chance personally to go to Judas. And we see what happened there. Now Thomas is saying, I don't believe it. Jesus wants to address that right now. But still, there is Peter. And Peter's sin is is such that he needs talked to about the sin. Thomas said, if I just touch it, I'll believe it. That's easy. Come over here. But you know, it wasn't for a few days later, and we know that because on the third appearance, they were in Galilee. They were no longer in Jerusalem. They were in Galilee because Peter said, after these appearances, and without having any recorded conversations with Jesus, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. And the other said, We'll go with you. Eight of them at least went fishing. Eight went fishing. Eight went to Galilee. I don't don't know where the other four were. The other three, excuse me. I don't know where the other three were. Did they stay? Did they go but just not go fishing? I don't know. But Jesus came and found him on the lake where he knew he'd find Peter. Would you turn with me to John chapter 21 and read how this turns out? I'd really like you to lay eyes on this, and I'd really like you to see for your own learning how our master reaches out to restore a wayward son. You could speculate a little bit about why Peter said, I'm going fishing, but he was to be on mission. They were to preach the gospel to the world, and even though at this time Jesus had not given the Great Commission, they knew why they were in training for three and a half years, folks. They were the preachers who were going to carry this message out into the world. And it wasn't until his ascension that we say, oh, the Great Commission, go into all the world. They knew, though, what they were supposed to be doing. 
And so in this period of time, this 40 days, the book of Acts chapter 1 is the only place that tells us this, that Jesus appeared to them over 40 days, off and on, off and on, appeared to them and would leave and would appear to them and leave, teaching about the kingdom of God. But on this third appearance, earlier on in that 40 days likely, but enough time for them to travel from Jerusalem 60 miles north to Galilee and then get back into the fishing business, jump in maybe in dad's boat, get the brothers together, James and John, Peter and Andrew, we're going to go out, we're going to go fishing, they got a bunch of other guys in there to help. They're all fit, their minds are elsewhere, and Peter's the ringleader of it. Don't you think that perhaps that Peter, feeling the way he did, said, I got to get out and go fishing? That sounds good to us when we get lives get a little hectic or sometimes even to clear our minds and maybe to go out and have prayer time with the Lord. Some of you might hear say, I need to go fishing so I can do that. Most people believe that Peter did that because he was running. Jonah-esque. I don't know if I'm worthy of this. I don't know if I can do this. I don't think I'll be accepted by him. Thomas came up and touched him. He seems to be restored. He's all fired up, and I'm still sitting here in a state of denial, and I haven't had a chance to reconcile that yet. And so that's the scene. And Jesus appears to them while they're out in the lake, and he's standing on the shore, and he says something very reminiscent of a previous occasion when he said, cast your nets out on the other side of the boat. And if you remember, they caught 153 large fish, and they were wrestling with them to bring them in, but one guy jumped off the boat and swam to shore. Remember who that was? Peter came in sopping wet because he needed to know if he was going to be accepted by Jesus and have a way to reconcile this with Jesus. Jesus had already come to him. Jesus was already waiting, and Jesus had breakfast preparing over the coals on the shore, a shore lunch, a shore breakfast. Jesus broke this awkwardness down with a, with a warm approach and met Peter where he was. Think about that for a second. Think about the wayward Peter, feeling as he did, dejected, despondent, traitor, wasting all of that wonderful hope and ability that he was being given and the great purpose in life that he had learned for himself. He cast it all away, and Jesus just says, come and eat breakfast. It says they ate breakfast pretty quietly, and no one dared ask him in verse 12, who are you? Because they knew who it was. In verse 13 it says, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to him, and likewise the fish served him breakfast. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. We have an occasion of the other two on Sunday in Jerusalem. So when they had eaten breakfast, listen closely folks. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Some, do you love me with agape love? That's the word. 
Do you agape me? Do you love me with a self-sacrificial love? He said, you know that I phileo you, Lord, with a brotherly love. You know that I love you like a brother. He asked him that question three times, and when Peter answered those three times, he said, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. But it goes on to say something that's interesting to me in this matter of methodology. How did Jesus reach out to this man, Peter? After he told him, Peter, there will be a day in your future where you stretch out your hands and are taken somewhere you don't want to be taken. You're, you're going to come through this, Peter. In fact, you're going to come through this and you're going to die in a similar fashion to me. Remember, Peter? I'll go with you to death and prison. Well, Peter, if you remember that, you're, you're actually going to go to death for me. If you're Peter at that point, is that good news or bad news? I mean, we think, oh, that'd be horrible to hear for Peter right now. You know what he's saying? You're going to get back on mission. You're going you're gonna to love me to the point where you give your life up on a crucifix for me. From Peter's perspective, maybe he took that in a little different light. You mean I'll be restored to you in your service? I'll get to die for you like I said I would? You mean you would allow me to come back into your kingdom, into your presence, into this great mission that you've trained me for? It says that Peter turned and looked behind him to the disciple that was following them. Just hold on there for a minute. Picture this. All we got so far was Jesus said to Peter, but they took a walk. They took a walk. They're moving. Jesus and Peter took a walk down the beach, and John was following close behind. But picture that scene for a minute, would you please? The Lord wanting to take him aside and just restore his spirit, revive the fire deep in his soul. Not trying to embarrass him, not judging him and condemning him, but taking him aside and saying, Peter, do you, do you love me more than these? More than what? More than these men love me, maybe is what he meant. Maybe, do you love me more than these men before whom you denied me three times? Do you love men or do you love me? Do you, do you seek the praise of men more than the praise of God? Matthew 15, right? Do you love me more than these? He needed an opportunity to respond to that. But you know, it was one of two things that set Peter on fire after this. And it's probably both in my opinion. It's probably the fact that finally sunk in, especially once he got over this, this feeling of lostness and, and was invited back into mission with Jesus. That Jesus was alive. He was talking to the resurrected Lord. Apologetically speaking. It's sunk in. I'm talking to the risen Lord. He is risen. And that set him ablaze. He, he rose from, it's the Son of God. But don't you think that being restored 
to Jesus personally had a little bit to do with the fire that he could stand in the face of the Sanhedrin and say, you ought to obey God rather than man. You ought to do this. And you know that I cannot help but speak the things I've seen and heard. He's alive. And you ought to obey him too. Because he'll accept you and receive you in his grace. And you sons of Israel who have been straying, he will take into your fold. What a beautiful rescue mission, huh? Let's finish by looking at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Because this one is to you, and this one is to me, Christians. Brothers and sisters. Family. Paul says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, if he's caught up in it, if, if you determine that he's in sin, he's walking in it, if a man is overtaken in it, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also are tempted, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Doesn't that sound like the, the walk on the beach? When you know someone's overtaken, you go to them and you restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Who? Those of you who are minded spiritually, understanding the gravity of the situation and are able to gently and firmly guide them back into the right relationship with God. Those of you who would be able to look somebody in the eye, church, and say, do you love Christ more than this? Do you? Do you love Christ Jesus more than this life? Those are the people that should go. It can be the shepherds. It should be shepherds that do it, that are, that are at least engaged in this process of, of looking for their lost sheep. But he says, you who are spiritual, it could be you who have the mind to go and retrieve somebody. But do you know, this is... We looked at Jesus, how he did this, but you really know what it takes to be the one to reach out to one of our dear loved ones who's lost again? You got to care enough to do it. You, you got to care enough to realize that someone's soul could be separated from God eternally and condemned in hell forever. Do you care? Do you? Do you? Do you care enough? Do you love them more than these? Do you? Do you? If you do, you're the right person to go. You may not say everything right. You may not lead a perfect life. You don't. We don't. But if you care enough, you'll go and say, God wants you back. He wants you back. Restored doesn't just mean that they're going to come back and sit in the church pew and start attending again. Restored means that their relationship with God is right. Restored means that they are walking in good works which God created beforehand that we should walk in them. That they're in service to God. 
On that note, I ask you, are you in service to God? Are, are you in service to God? Maybe you're wayward. Maybe, maybe you're serving God with your lips, but your heart is far from Him. Maybe you're here today and we can all see you, but God doesn't recognize who you are when you call His name. He, I don't know you. Maybe you're one. But all of us are obligated to do this, and it's not a big deal if we care. It's not hard. We won't make excuses if it's someone we really care about. Oh, that's a heavy burden. But guess what? It's not as heavy as the burden that the people who are wayward got to carry. And that's why also in that second verse he said, bear their burdens with them. Walk with them. Help them to be restored to health. You who are exhorters and you who are givers and you who are mercy sharers, you who are shepherds, you who are evangelists, you who are the lovers of your brothers and sisters, bring them back. You'll be on mission with Jesus. And as was read in the scripture reading by Michael Weaver, he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will cover, will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's what I would like to be able to say I was about doing when I stand face to face with Jesus in the judgment day. I'd like to be able to say, I've been busy, Lord. It's good to see you, wouldn't you? I hope we'll get minded that way, church. We have to. We have to do that. We're going to start with our wayward members. Not just strangers, but the wayward. Let's do that together. Rod, lead us in this song. And we're going to stand and sing. And if anyone needs to respond, please do that today.